0: Hi, I'm Dr. Marcy Reese, and welcome to Gut Matters. We live in a chaotic world. Everyone has stress. Whether it's because of finances, relationships, politics, work, our worlds seem to be getting more and more complicated. When you're living with Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, or other gastrointestinal disorders, life carries with it a whole new set of challenges. Gut Matters is more than a podcast. It's a platform to create a community of individuals with gastrointestinal conditions who are striving to get the most out of life. We are going to look at challenges and solutions for navigating issues. We will hear from doctors and others devoted to alleviating the suffering of patients. And together, we can use adversity as a catalyst for growth. I'm really excited today to be speaking with Dr. Athos Busbaros from Boston Children's Hospital. We've been colleagues for many years. Athos has done a great job, not just in teaching the world about pediatric inflammatory bowel disease, but also in highlighting the real importance of psychosocial care for IBD patients. I'm going to divide this podcast into two parts, where in the first segment this week, we are going to focus more on the medical side of pediatric IBD. And in the second part next week, we're going to focus more on the psychosocial components of IBD. Thank you, Athos, for being here. I was really excited to start this podcast. A few people had mentioned it over time, and my goal in life has always been to get psychosocial care and education to the masses of IBD patients. What I did for the last dozen years or so was building these integrated centers, putting mental health into the IBD center setting. When COVID hit and the world fell apart, we slid backwards enormously because centers were just trying to stay afloat, figuring out how to keep patients safe. This presented a unique challenge in terms of how do we get education and psychosocial care to patients. And I am not, or historically have not been, a podcast person or a social media person. And more and more people were just making that suggestion to me. So I decided to finally give in and and start learning about it and pay attention. That's what brings us here. Athos, we've known each other for a long time and I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you here on the podcast today. Tell our listeners about yourself, your background and why you chose to specialize in pediatric IBD.
1: Uh, Thank you for asking mercy. And uh, thank you for the privilege of being on this podcast with you today. Uh, I, I'm a first-generation immigrant. My dad was a doctor. Uh, he uh, was a cardiologist in Greece who ultimately moved to the States here. Uh grew up in upstate New York and did my medical school at Duke University. And then I came up to Harvard to do uh, further pediatric training and pediatric GI and just kind of fell in love with the whole IBD population. Uh, Why I became an IBD doctor, first of all, there weren't that many of them when I was training. And so I saw a need. Uh, Second, we didn't have many medications back then. And so people were pretty sick. But I figured out fairly quickly that by using the right medications at the right time, even though our medicines weren't perfect back then, we could really help people Maintain a normal quality of life. I also loved seeing my patients grow up. You know, I'd start taking care of them in grade school and then I'd, you know, I've watched them get married and some of them have children. Plus, the biology of this disease is very medically challenging, figuring out exactly what's going on, why this disease even happens. So, there's a lot of opportunities from the research end, too.
0: Nice. I didn't know we had uh, something in common. My dad was also a cardiologist, okay. and he actually had Crohn's disease. He was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in his last year of medical school. And the famous story about my dad is he actually wrote his med school finals in the hospital after his first bowel resection. <laughs> the once upon a <laughs> time, yeah, they weren't so kind to students, and they didn't have laws behind them, and yeah, so that was his I his experience.
1: Cool, yeah. I can believe that. Yes, that was a different generation.
0: It was. So what is inflammatory bowel disease and how often do kids get diagnosed with it?
1: So in general, we use the term inflammatory bowel disease to describe two diseases. One is called Crohn's disease. The other one is called ulcerative colitis. But now we know that there are probably other forms of inflammatory bowel disease that are unappreciated. In essence, inflammatory bowel disease is any disease or any illness that causes long-term, in other words, chronic bowel inflammation. When I use the term bowel inflammation, we're talking about things that you can see under the microscope or with an endoscope. Typically, The intestine looks red, it's swollen, there may be ulcers. And typically, when you look under the microscope, you see a large number of different kinds of inflammatory cells. This is different from other GI conditions where you may not have inflammation. And in fact, a lot most of our patients who have abdominal pain and diarrhea don't have inflammatory bowel disease. And in fact, their colon looks normal. But in inflammatory bowel disease, basically you have. Redness, you see ulcers, you see mucus, and it can involve the whole colon. Sometimes you see it on x ray, sometimes you see it on endoscopy. Now, to quickly get into Crohn's versus ulcerative colitis, ulcerative colitis is limited to the large intestine, otherwise known as the colon. And so people who have that disease usually have specific symptoms diarrhea, pain and blood in the stool. Crohn's, however, can involve any part of the intestine, and that really can cause different symptoms. In terms of how common it is, we know there's about 70,000 or more children in the country who have inflammatory bowel disease. I would think it's probably even more than that, probably greater than 100,000 if you define a child as under the age of 18. The instance of this disease is between one in a thousand and one in 500. What that means is that if you follow a, a thousand children for a year, you would expect one or two to develop either Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis.
0: You've mentioned that lots of kids will have stomach aches, but it won't actually be inflammatory conditions. How do parents know? if the stomach aches of their child are serious or not? That's a great question. First of all, I would argue that any stomach
1: ache is serious if it's interfering with a child's quality of life. So I don't generally differentiate between inflammatory conditions and functional conditions in terms of one is serious and one isn't. Both are affecting a child's quality of life and both need to be evaluated and treated. With inflammatory conditions, however, you typically have more symptoms besides just belly pain and diarrhea. What you see is rectal bleeding, probably the most common symptom that we look for. You can have weight loss or lack of weight gain in a child, very important symptom. Sometimes if the disease is advanced and there are blockages in the intestine, some kids will come in with vomiting. Unexplained fever is another common symptom. And then we will sometimes see odd things, joint pain, skin rashes, penile swelling, just things that you just, they don't all fit together but if you've seen enough inflammatory bowel disease you can say yeah that can all be a part of that syndrome in contrast kids with what we call functional diseases just like regular stomach aches of childhood they'll have belly pain they'll have diarrhea but they won't have blood they won't be losing weight in general and often these kids who have functional symptoms often have a lot of anxiety the Folks with Crohn's and colitis, at least in the beginning, only a small number I've found have anxiety. They kind of keep living their lives even though they're losing weight and having bleeding. The other things that can help you are blood tests. Typically with functional bowel disease, regular old stomach aches, blood work is normal. With inflammatory bowel disease, there are certain blood tests that are off that will clue your doctor in.
0: Okay. So if we have a child who's exhibiting stomach aches and they're persistent and they have these other symptoms, they're having either bloody diarrhea, they're having these extra intestinal manifestations. So they come to the gastroenterologist, what are the tests that you need to do to confirm the diagnosis? What's that child's going to have to go
1: through? Well, you know, the first thing I like to do is just do a very careful history and examination because I think How much you do is really going to depend on that history and examination. And then, for example, if someone has stomach aches and diarrhea, I might just say, okay, don't worry too much. If I hear their family member has Crohn's disease, then I'm going to think a little bit harder about that patient and say, well, maybe you do need more testing. Now there's a a stool test called calprotectin that can be very helpful in the diagnosis of this condition. Suggests inflammatory bowel disease. Then typically what we'll do is we'll do three tests. One is an upper endoscopy. Basically, you take a look with a scope in the child's stomach. You're looking for inflammation in the upper part. Then the most important part is the lower part. So you do a colonoscopy, usually at the same time. And then you take a colonoscope and you look at the large intestine. Ideally, you try to get all the way to the last part of the small intestine, the terminal ileum. To emphasize, we have kids asleep for this testing. They're sleepy. They're comfortable. They're managed by anesthesiologists. The hardest part for kids is the prep. (laughs) Just like for adults, it's usually the prep that's the hardest part. You just have to drink a lot of fluid and laxatives until your bowel is empty.
0: But most kids... I'd like to jump in there and just say that the fluid doesn't taste very good. (laughs) No,
1: there are different fluids and sometimes you got to drink a lot of Gatorade with it and things like that. So, yeah, I'm actually impressed. You know, we can get even like three-year-olds to drink this stuff. (laughs) Fortunately, a three-year-old doesn't have to drink as much as an adult, so it's not as hard. The other test we need to do besides the endoscopy and the colonoscopy is some sort of Imaging test of the small intestine. And in the old days, we used to have kids drink barium and then we would just take a group of x rays to look at the small intestine. That was called a small bowel follow through. Over time, that has largely been replaced by CT and MRI. And MRI has, I think, become our treatment of modality of choice because it lacks radiation. So that's The the, really the main benefit of MRI. The downside of MRI is that you have to sit still for about an hour in a loud machine. So while I can get a three year old to do a bowel prep, uh, I generally can't get them to sit still for an MRI. You know, usually it's the grade school kids and up that we do MRIs if we worry about the younger kids. We'll do other modalities, like I said, the barium or CT.
0: Okay, so so let's assume you've now made a firm diagnosis of Crohn's or colitis and you're presenting this to the parents. It's obviously very, very frightening for parents to have a child be incapacitated in any way and be feeling sick and be having diarrhea and stomach aches. And then we tell them that their child has a serious disease and it's a chronic disease. And in medicine, uh, it always bothered me that we use this term chronic disease. But when I was handed the, the diagnosis of Crohn's disease, all I heard was incurable. So we're giving patients, we're giving children an incurable disease. What would you say to parents when you give the diagnosis? What do you wish every gastroenterologist would tell parents when they're giving that diagnosis to their child.
1: I've had that conversation many, many times over my career, and usually, initially at least, it's a brief conversation because you're coming out of the endoscopy suite. You have a set of pictures that suggest Crohn's or colitis, and now you're going to go into a parent and you're going to tell them this, and... Then you've got to go back to your next patient in the endoscopy unit because the nurses are asking you to hurry it up. First, it shouldn't be a short conversation. It should be a, a longer conversation and it's it's too bad we do it the way we do. Ideally, what I like to do is to prep a patient before the procedure. If I have think I have a high likelihood of this, I tell them not to read too much into Google, but when they ask questions, if I think it's likely they have Crohn's or colitis, I'll say, well, this is what you might expect afterwards. If I don't think they have it, I say, let's not talk about that now because you probably don't have this and we can wait. So when I come out, the first thing I do is I typically will show them the pictures from the procedure so they know what I see and what I think, why I think it's that. I will then tell them the diagnosis is not final yet. We're still waiting for biopsy results to come back, and typically they will take about a week. Now, at that point, as you said, parents are shell-shocked. They're afraid. They don't know what to ask, and they don't know what to do. I like to cover three things in that waiting room. The first is I fully expect your child to grow up, finish high school, go to college, get married, have kids, have grandkids and die of something other than their inflammatory bowel disease. Because even though this is a serious chronic illness, in 2023 and 2024, we can manage most cases medically and provide children with an excellent quality of life. So I want them to know that. That while it may not be curable, it's very treatable and it's controllable in the vast majority of our patients.
0: I love that you say that while, they're, while you're meeting with them, right and then at their post-endoscopy. Yeah, because that's the main
1: thing parents want to know oh, no. is, is my child going to die from this? And you just have to right. say no. Right. Not just if they aren't going to die, but that they're going to have a really good quality of life for the most part. Right. Uh, The second thing the parents want to know, and the the second question always comes up, is did I give this to my child? And I tell them no. It is not, strictly speaking, a genetic disease like most inflammatory diseases. It's a combination of genetics and environment, and we don't know exactly what caused it, but it's generally not passed on from parent to child. In fact, when I'm seeing a a parent with Crohn's and they want to know what's the risk my baby's going to get Crohn's, if you only have one parent that has Crohn's or colitis, the risk of any one child getting it is pretty low. It's in between 3 and 8%, or as I like to say, 92 to 97% chance your child will not get Crohn's. <laughs> so, you know, it, So it's important that people understand this is not strictly speaking genetic or hereditary, though genes do affect risk believe it or not, the third most common question I get in the recovery area after when I'm talking to a parent is, what can my child eat? And I smile and I tell them, you know, this is a really complicated topic with respect to inflammatory bowel disease with lots of different medical opinions. But given that your child's been doing a bowel prep for the last 24 hours and assuming that there haven't been any foods that have been causing them any pain or discomfort, I think they should eat whatever they want to eat today. If they come out and they've been doing a prep and they say, I want chicken fingers, (laughs) give them the chicken fingers. And then when we meet in the future, we will have more detailed discussions about diet and inflammatory bowel disease. The other thing sometimes, depending on the degree of illness of the patient, sometimes I decide to start a medication right there in the uh, recovery areas. So for example, if someone is having five or six bloody bowel movements a day and they've been pretty unhappy or miserable for a while, they might even just start something like prednisone early on, in which case I review different side effects of the medication. If I start prednisone, I emphasize it's a very short-term drug that we're just doing to get this under control under a brief period of time. But sometimes kids do need medication before they go home.
0: We've now covered the presentation of the disease, the symptoms, the testing, the diagnosis. I really appreciate all of this content. And next week, we are going to focus on the psychosocial impact of this diagnosis on children. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe and leave me feedback. My goal is to use this podcast to help you I don't want anyone with gastrointestinal issues to feel alone. So let me know what topics you would like to hear about. And let's keep talking because gut matters.